Hello, everybody. And we're glad to uh, be together as we continue on our study that we're doing in, uh, right now, the book of Matthew. We're actually going to work through the entire New Testament, verse by verse, sort of a chapter at a time, uh, which we anticipate will take us about five years. And then uh, I'm going to follow that up with the same thing in the Old Testament, which will be 15 years on top of that. And really, as I prayed through it, that's so 20 years, give or take. It might be 21. I was trying to do the math. Um, Because it'll be a little tough, trust me, to stick through some of those places in the Old Testament when you're trying to work your way through the Chronicles or the Numbers. And uh, we'll see how that works out. But what I figured would be good if if I was saying to God, okay, so I'm 48 now. I'd like to do that twice. (laughs) 40 years, 88. That'd be good, wouldn't it? And And then I'd be done. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's, it's, uh, we can just toss stuff out there, and then God's going to be God in the process. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so we are and have been work, working through together the book of Matthew, and we're up to chapter 9. What I'd like to do is, okay, is I'd like to start by reading Matthew chapter 9 to you. It's uh, there in your notes if you want to read along, or if you have your Bibles, you can open them up and read along. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and so follow along. If you will, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. No, uh, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine in the new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith 
has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all that land. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the man was cast out, and when the demon was cast out, sorry, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so um, we're picking up uh, in, in Matthew 9. And again, uh, remember that uh, Jesus started off, as, as recorded in, in Matthew um, this is all flowing out of that Sermon on the Mount. He sat down and he uh, preached a sermon that uh, turned everything that the people had known upside down. And, and remember he, he, what he was saying throughout that thing is, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And the response of him saying, you heard it said, but I say to you, is that uh, a surge of hope and faith has come to the people and, and Jesus has told them the kingdom of God is, is at hand and they believe it. And now what he's doing in his ministry is he's demonstrating the things that he said. And he's demonstrating that indeed the kingdom of God is at hand. It's present. And so all these incredible encounters are taking place. And that's what's being recorded in these chapters. And so I love these chapters of the book of Matthew. I think they're, they're some of the funnest reading in the Bible. And I always like to think about, I don't know how when you, uh, what you do when you read the Bible, I like to think about what it must be like to be there. Um, and try and even imagine a little bit of what it was like. Do you know that, that uh, um, God has given us imagination, holy imagination? And unfortunately, the, the fallen world and the enemies tried to mess up and, and, and change it and, and twist it and make it something that's not good. But, but uh, uh, holy imagination is a gift. God is creative. He, and he's given us that in him, in his image, this, this the idea to create and be creative. And, and part of that is our imagination, holy imagination. And uh, I, I like to take those gospel accounts and I like to think about uh, as, I, as I study and as I read what it must have been like. And I try and think of it from all sorts of angles. You know, I try and think of it what it must have been like to be one of the disciples. I, that's one of my favorite angles. What would it have been like to be one of those guys and, and what they were seeing? And, and, and then remembering the struggles that they had to make them so much like us, you know, who's going to be the greatest and the same stuff that we, we still miss with today. But, but that's your angle. What would it have been like to be part of those people that kept showing up and, and just seeing what was happening, sort of there, but, but not completely in, but just amazed. You know, what would it have been like for those people who had basically, until Jesus came, lived in sort of darkness? 
you know, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament doesn't talk that much about the, the, the enemy, the, the evil one. He's not that highlighted in the Old Testament. And part of the reason is because uh, when Jesus comes, he brings in light that exposes the darkness. And all of a sudden, you see all these encounters that start happening. It's because light has come into the darkness. And, and, and now there's uh, the evil's being illuminated. And, and the oppression is being illuminated. And it's, it's popping up everywhere. And so Jesus is, is coming and he's, he's presenting the message. And he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. So he does this in lots of different little encounters in the process. In that first one in Matthew 9, uh, verses 1 through 8. What we have is where Jesus heals a paralytic. And why I put my glasses away, I have no idea. And make note to self, the 16-point font isn't getting in anymore. We're going to 18. (laughs) I'm going to 18. I can read it, but I keep missing a word here and there, and that's not good. (laughs) It's a sad thing. You're watching it in front of you. I'll be up here soon with Coke bottle lenses. (laughs) Um, Okay, so as uh, this is happening, these encounters, things are happening. It's not just the healing is happening, it's the reaction to the demonstration of the power of the God. And the religious people are getting really worked up by it. Because, look, they've spent their entire lives setting up this process that they have that, that works for no one but them. And Jesus, in a very short period of time, has upset everything. And, and they're losing... See, it's not... What you find throughout the whole thing, it's not about what God is doing, because they, if they really love God, they should be able to grab a hold of it and worship. But it was, it was about that they were losing their, their whole deal. Their place, their, what they had set up, their, their thing was getting turned upside down and they weren't going to have it. They, they were going to fight this entire process for the next three years until the cross, which they thought was a victory and it wasn't. You know, one of those things about God is that a lot of times what looks like defeat is really the, the path to victory. Do you get that? That oftentimes it's, a, it's, the, it's the path that sort of feels like death. It's actually the path to life as we work through that process. And that's what happens. It's culminated in the cross, which is the, the greatest victory that has ever been won. But it didn't, understand it didn't look like that at the time. Because even his guys didn't understand it. So that's coming up in the weeks ahead. So anyway, we have this encounter. And um, in this first encounter, these, uh, the, there's a man on a paralytic, and his friends bring him to Jesus. And what Jesus notices in this encounter is the faith of the friends. And that's important because... While faith is a part of this process, and, and it is, don't get me wrong, you're going to see um, in each of these encounters that faith is a big deal. But, but the person who was healed in this mix wasn't the person with faith. It was his friends who brought him to Jesus. And he was impressed by their faith in, in, in the process. And so it's, that's what Jesus mentions in verse 2. And so sometimes we, we read into the Scripture and we start, uh, and if we hear these things sometimes, it talk about, well, you know, if... Um, the only way, we can't be healed unless we have enough faith, or um, if we don't get healed, it's because we didn't have enough faith, or we got some sin in our life. And, and the problem is, while, while there may be an element to any of those things that, that ring true, it's not always the case. Um, and the, the reason I even bring that up, and we talked about that all in the kingdom of God, 
if, first off, if being sinless is the um, groundwork for ever receiving anything from God, none of us ever get anything because none of us makes it. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know anybody that's got nothing going on in their lives. So that's not going to, that can't be the prerequisite. It's not. It's a, a realization that we're dealing with it and we're walking and we're not taking advantage of it, but it's part of the process. And the other aspect is of faith. If, it's, if, if we can get anything we want, what we want, hear me, because of our faith, it's not about God anymore. It's about us. And so we have to allow, in, in whatever way we deal with this, for God's sovereignty. Because uh, that's what it's really all about. Now, faith is a part of the process. And certainly sin can cause problems in our life. Don't hear, don't hear me not saying that. I'm not. Um, and, and sometimes things are tied together. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's, there, there is sicknesses that's tied to sin. We get into behaviors we shouldn't get into, and there's, there's fallout from it. But it's not always the case, and that's where we have to be very careful. Because I've, I've just been in that situation where, where people have been praying to be healed, and they haven't been, and, and other people try and blame it on something. Rather than, look, we've done what we can, and we have to trust in the fact that God's sovereign, and the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. And we're in that tension. So we have to look for that uh, in each of those situations in our lives. Um, but, but what's interesting as well is uh, uh, what Jesus says in this process. Because notice, he didn't just heal the guy. First he says, your sins are forgiven. That's what gets him mad. Why does it get him so mad? Who can forgive sins? God can forgive sin. What Jesus is saying there, guys, I'm him. And they, oh, oh, oh. that's what touches them off from the beginning. They can't, they can't ever deal with that. That's why they keep saying he blasphemes. Because he's saying, when he says, your sins are forgiven, and then he says to him, what do you think is easier? I mean, what do you think is, is really the heart of it? What, what's most important? And he said, just so you know, I have authority to forgive sins. Stand up and walk. See, he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. It's here. He's ushered in the kingdom. He's come in the process. And so um, this really gets people stirred up, and, and especially the religious leaders, and they stay stirred up. Understand, the Sermon on the Mount stirred him up because he basically said, every time he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, it was a sla- it, they were like, he was taking their whole thing and going, they were completely wrong. Sorry. So, so that, when someone does that, you're not going to be real happy with them anyway. And then he goes and basically says he's God, which takes him even further down the path. And, and now, not only is he saying these things, he's doing something about it. They couldn't do it. Do, do you get that they're frustrated because they couldn't do it? Uh, it just wasn't happening. Now, in verses 9 through 13 um, is the calling of Matthew. And Matthew's a tax collector. Tax collectors were not very well liked. Uh, unlike today, where IRS agents are everybody's best friend. Nobody tells you when they work for the IRS ever. What do you do? Counting. <laughs> Government accounting. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's like sometimes when people ask me what I do. Because when you tell people you're a pastor, there's an immediate difference in people. And they treat you different. And they don't act the same anymore. And so... They don't. I've been golfing and, and have golfed through like a, a half a round with people, and they didn't know what I and the, and the conversation flowed, and it was it was a, a little you know uh, it was interesting, <laughs> with colorful colloquialism and uh, and banter. 
everywhere. And then around the hole eight or nine, so what do you do? Uh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> there wasn't a word said the rest of the room. I'm the same guy that was here the first nine holes. I didn't say nothing. So, so, it's, so sometimes when people ask me what I do, and I say, if it's, I don't really know them very well, it's a new situation. I'm a motivational speaker. And they don't, it doesn't phase, okay, great. Nothing changes. I ain't lying. Do you feel motivated sometimes when you come? See? It all works out. Where do you speak at? I speak over the church every Sunday. <laughs> I'm, I'm booked. <laughs> For a while. It's a good thing. <laughs> um, I've, I've really gone off bad here because I have no idea where I'm at. Oh, okay. So, so here's the deal. I don't know how I got there, but so Matthew's called tax collector. I get it, and and uh, Jesus calls him. And, and remember, so he wasn't. These people weren't well liked. And then what he does is Peter has a party at his house because he's called and he's changed. Uh, Jesus has an impact on people. He's going to follow Jesus. Big, big change. And so he asked his friend to come over to meet all his friends to come over and meet Jesus. And 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 then all these religious people show up as well. But but they're having this this party, and the religious leaders are offended because Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. That's, that's exactly what they say. Now, here's, here's what fascinates me is, see, when, when someone first comes to the Lord, they still usually have a lot of friends that, that aren't there because um, that's where they've been hanging, and that's cool. And, and yet, after, after people have sort of been in for a while, they tend to make different friends. And I, that, I understand that process as well. And so they, they sort of get further removed from friends that they had. But it's at that beginning time when you have the best opportunity to present the gospel with people who've never heard it before. And, and yet you have to be willing to go in and hang out with people who haven't heard the gospel and who act just like that, which is fine if you, if you sort of have it in your, if you're knower that this is what they're going to do. And Jesus didn't care. He just wanted to be around people. And the people were drawn to him. The Pharisees hated it. And they were saying, how can he be around those people? Well, unless you can be around people to tell them how much Jesus loves them, you don't get the opportunity to do it. And, and so we have to be very careful in, in our own lives that we don't let that religious thing sneak up on us and keep us from being able to tell people about Jesus, knowing that, that and, until they are in and, and the Spirit of God has begun to do things in, in their lives, this is just how they're going to be. It's, it's, we can't really expect them to be any different. And so uh, we always want to look for opportunities to connect with people in non-religious ways and have that opportunity to demonstrate the gospel. This is a wonderful picture of what happened there. And uh, it's in there for for that purpose when uh, Jesus was just ready to go and be with people. And and he he wasn't putting on the the whole thing, but he he was certainly holding people. People were drawn to the truth because of who he was. He was the perfect balance of of mercy and truth in the process. And so uh, uh, what we see in those encounters is the people respond to Jesus and they don't respond to the Pharisees. You need to see the difference in what happens. People won't respond to relig- uh, religiosity. I don't know what other what to say. They just won't. It's not impressive. But they do respond to the Jesus in people. And so that happens in... Uh, in verses 9 through 13. Then in, in verse 14 through 17, we have this interaction with uh, John's disciples and Jesus. And they're a little shocked as well. 
because um, the, John the Baptist had a pretty interesting ministry, and he was calling people to repentance. And so uh, in, in that process of repentance, there was a lot of fasting that went along with it. And, and all of a sudden, and, and John's in prison by this point, John's disciples are watching this, and they're, they're sort of like, almost like the Pharisees. Well, you know, we, we fast, the Pharisees fast all the time. How come you and your disciples don't fast? They're basically saying, how can you be hanging out at a big party like that and being around all those people? And Jesus um, is so good. He equates this whole thing to basically a wedding feast. Uh, and, and he talks about feasts a lot and, and in, in the context of the, parable of the in parables in the kingdom about wedding feasts. And, and what he's saying is that this feast is sort of like a, a wedding feast and that um, at a wedding... The people are happy and eating. And, and he's saying, look, while the bridegroom is present, and he's, he's, he's the bridegroom where the bride is a picture of the king and the kingdom. While the king is present, there's no need for, for fasting and mourning. Uh, it's a time for celebration. It's a time for all the things that go along with it, not for fasting. But he goes on and he says, but a time's coming because they know, he knows that the people are going to reject him. And that's when he says when the bridegroom is taken away, then there'll be time for that whole process. But the time wasn't right then. And then there's this, this interesting little uh, chunk of scripture there that people often wonder about, about sewing a garment, a new piece of, an un, piece of untrunk cloth onto an old garment or pouring uh, new wine into an old wineskin and it bursts. Because it seems like that doesn't fit. What is he talking about? Why would he say that? Well, they would have known exactly um, what he was talking about in, in the process. But one thing you need to know that New wine back then fermented, and so if they if they uh, if they put it in something that couldn't handle it, it would just blow up. All right, so they put it in in uh, new things. But he was making a an illustration for John's disciples about the difference between the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry, and and that's what's being illustrated there. See, John the Baptist, his his ministry was about repentance. He was a reformer. In effect, he was trying to patch up the old system. But it was so messed up you couldn't put a patch on it. Jesus comes and he's going to try and lead people out of that and into the kingdom based on his truth and his righteousness instead of what they've been doing. And the illustration is about that very thing. Look, it, it, this system is so messed up it can't be patched. And so I've come and I'm bringing in the truth, how it's always supposed to be. We're coming in and he's going to lead people out of and away from the bondage of legalism and Phariseeism into the kingdom of God in his righteousness and in his truth. And so that's what's happening with those um, particular verses in there. Jesus had come to do something new, to lead a group of people out of the old ways and into the kingdom of God based on him and his righteousness. Uh, now we move into verse 18 and following, uh, verse through 34, and there's a series of encounters of, uh, that, that demonstrate again uh, the kingdom of God and uh, the implications that it brings. It starts with the story of Jairus, who's a ruler, and he comes to Jesus and it says that he worships and he says, listen, my daughter has died. If you will come and lay your hand on her, she will live again. It's a bold statement. But again, remember, there's this, in Jesus and all the things that are happening has come this surge of hope and faith and that, that God is, is present among them, that, the, this, that it never happened before, the, is, is available to them now. And, and so they, they come and they ask. Uh, the, this woman who has a, uh, the issue of blood that's gone on forever, she knows that if she can just touch his garment, she'll be healed. 
She presses her way through the crowd. And in, in one of the other Gospels, you know, Jesus actually can tell that powers come out of him. And he stops and he, and he asks the question about what's happening there. Then two blind men cry out for mercy and, and they receive sight. And he says, do you, do you think I can do this? And they go, yeah. He said, okay. And they receive their sight in the process. A demon-possessed man who uh, the, the, the demonic uh, oppression has caused him not to be able to speak is delivered and healed and he begins to speak. And the people are seeing the, the, uh, the nature of God as light is breaking into the darkness in these miraculous ways. And yet, once again, we see the reaction of the established religious community. And what they say is this. They, they begin to accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the ruler of the demons. And I, I think if you can catch the, where it happens is it's, it's, it's said right after the... the, the uh, the guy who was mute by demon possession is delivered. And, and basically, I think what they're saying is they would rather have a demon-possessed man who can't speak than Jesus, who they're claiming to be demon-possessed, who blasphemes. And it's a, it's, a, it's a shocking contradiction of what's happening. They were, they were ready to deal with the other part of it because it worked for them. They didn't want this. They didn't want light. They didn't want what was happening because it was taking away all that they thought that mattered. They couldn't see the movement of God in the process. And then in verses 35 through 38, Jesus continues his ministry. And what you need to see is that this whole time he's, he's training his disciples. And he's preparing them to go out and do the very things that he does. And he starts talking about um, there not being enough workers and that the harvest field is ripe. And he says, pray uh, that, that, that there are more workers in the harvest. Now, um, if you remember, those of you who were here uh, some months ago, we talked about the feasts and how the feasts were ordained by God and that um, we've seen the first four of the feasts fulfilled uh, in Christ and, and in uh, the Holy Spirit coming in Pentecost. Pentecost was the fourth feast fulfilled. There's, there's seven. And we're in this season between four and five. We're waiting on trumpets. That's the next one. And trumpets signifies the end of the harvest. And at trumpet sound, the harvest is done. Uh, and the scripture talks about uh, in in, um, in the uh, in the Old Testament when they would be in a field, those who knew God at, at trumpet sound would just stop and they would go and worship, and other people would just keep on staying in the field if they didn't know God. But as soon as they heard trumpets, and we're waiting for trumpet sound, this signifies the return of Jesus and the end of the harvest. And so, um, but we're in this harvest time, and we have been been a good long harvest. It's been a couple thousand years now. Um, it's a harvest season. And so, what we, and the harvest is ripe. There are people who desperately need to know Jesus. It says in those verses, remember, Jesus is filled with compassion. You know, you would see Jesus, he would be out ministering to the multitudes, and he'd grow weary, and he'd have to stop. And he would stop for just a little while, and then what would happen? Compassion, he'd see them. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and back he would go again. But he's training his, his guys. And, and see, this is so important, because he's, he's got his guys, and in the beginning, these guys are watching. And, and I have this picture, I think about this stuff. See, they're, they're watching and they're involved and they're around and they're, they're seeing what Jesus is doing and how he's doing it. And, and he knows that they're watching. He's had, listen, I'm going to pray for these guys. I want you to see what's happening here. Praise for them. Because shortly you're going to see that he sends them out. And he says, now you guys go and do it. And they go and then they report back. See, and then sometimes they were successful and sometimes they weren't. And I don't know, they came back and they sit around and they talk about it. 
And, and he says, okay, now good. Now we're going to, and he makes any corrections that need to be made. He says, now go and do it some more. And, and so now these guys are in the process, and then he's going to send out more, right? He's going to send out 70 because it's, the, the, he can't, in coming, he's, he's been limited by where he can get to in, in, in his body. Now, he, it's going to expand when the Holy Spirit comes and we become the body of Christ. But let's see, he sends out the 12, then he sends out the 70 or the 72. And then at the commission, it's all about us doing it. See, this is, when you read these things, you have to realize that, that the harvest is still going on. And guess what? It's on you now. You're, you're, the, you're the workers in the harvest. And, and we have to take that on as part of what we do. It's, it's not just the, the, the things that he says. It's doing the things that he says. And that's what makes uh, the difference. And so, I think that's good enough for chapter 9, okay? And uh, we'll pick it up next week in chapter 10. So uh, if you want, go ahead and get chapter 10 read, and uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. If you have prayer requests, why don't you pass them up to me? I'd be happy to pray for you before we close. If you're watching uh, on, uh, up in Williston or on the Internet, we're happy to have the time together. Thank you for watching. Who's ever there will pray for you. If you need prayer, contact us by email or phone. We're going to close here with prayer.